tonight. Let's open up to Ezra chapter 8 tonight. If you recall in the last chapter, chapter 7, we've seen Ezra get his orders to gather him a group up together to march out to Jerusalem uh, to teach the word of God and to, to make sure that the religious orders were taking place properly in that region. And we're going to see here some of the heads of the families that went out with them, as well as a uh, surprising uh, group of people that were missing uh, with uh, the group that went out, and that would be the Levites. Uh, there seemed to have been no Levites signed up for this journey as they were going to leave to go to Jerusalem. Um, we see that there could be several priests that were in here, several of the uh, families that, uh, of the 12 tribes that moved out, but there was no Levites that wanted to go with them for whatever reasons. Um, I think about today, I guess you can say modern-day Levites, the, 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 the pastorship, or those who are, are serving in the ministry within the church, and how there have been surveys done where a lot of pastors have started to quit uh, serving in their churches, or a lot of ministers have, have begun to want to get away from serving in the ministry. And there's many reasons uh, why that can be. Some say, well, there's younger pastors maybe coming in now. Well, even that number of those who may have graduated from seminary or been ordained at a younger age, even them within a five-year period, they've shown that many of them quit uh, where they're at, and that's not good numbers at all. Some reasons that these uh, pastors or, or ministers quit, you know, some of them get discouraged. Uh, they have churches and, and they see people maybe not serving like they think it should be, or they don't have the numbers in the church that they think they should have, and what have you, and often they can get discouraged. Uh, failure, uh, failure to, to get a, a church off and running, you know, they'll take that personal and, and they'll want to quit whenever a failure hits them. Loneliness. I was reading through a book uh, on ministering, and they would talk about that's one of the main things that pastors often have is being lonely. They minister to everyone else, but often there's not someone there to listen and to minister to them, so they have that sense of loneliness. Uh, moral failure. We've seen that all over the news um, over the years, those who have fallen into immorality, who stand behind the pulpit and they no longer uh, are qualified to, to be pastors. Financial pressures, whether it's pressure uh, financially within the church or in their own family uh, finances. Anger problems. Uh, it goes on. They, some, some pastors get burned out doing this year in and year out. And, like, and I think that goes back to discouragement and failure, seeing these things uh, not come to fruition like they wish they would, they'll get burned out often. Another one is physical health. Their health starts to decline at times, and then they can't carry on. Uh, marriage and family problems often causes a lot of the issues where pastors or ministers will quit. And maybe uh, them just being too busy and driven, that's part of, part of the burning out, will keep them from doing that. <clears throat> so we look at the Levi's here, as we're going to read in a minute, about them not wanting to come back to Jerusalem and to minister uh, in the things of the Lord is they probably got too comfortable there in Babylon. And we're going to see a bit, little bit about that in a minute. But just please pray for pastors, pray for, for the leadership in the churches, pray for the church in general, 
that the Lord would give us strength and send the Spirit to, to have those who are ministering to continue on in their walk with, with the Lord and continue on in the mission that was given to them. And uh, we would appreciate that. So let's go, go ahead and start in verse 1 of chapter 8. Go verse 1 through 14, it says, These are the heads of the fathers' houses, and this is the gene- genealogy of those who went up with me from Babylon. So this is Ezra saying, These people went up with me in the reign of King Artaxerxes. Verse 2, it says, Of the sons of Phinehas, Gershom, of the sons of Ithamar, Daniel, of the sons of David, Hattush, of the sons of Sechaniah, Shechaniah of the sons of Pharos, of Zechariah, and registered with him were 150 males. <clears throat> of the sons of Pehath Moab, Eli Ehonai, the son of Zariah, and with him 200 males. Of the sons of Shechaniah, Ben Jehazel, and with him 300 males. Of the sons of Adin, Abed, the son of John, uh, Jonathan, and with him 50 males. Of the sons of Elam, Joshua, Jeshua, the son of Ethaliah, and with him 70 males. Of the sons of Shephatiah, Zebediah, uh, the son of Michael, and with him 80 males. Of the sons of Joab, Obadiah, the son of Jael, and with him 218 males. Of the sons of Shelemeth, uh, ben Josephiah, and with him 160 males. Of the sons of uh, Bebai, Zechariah, and the sons of Bebai, and with him 28 males. Of the sons of Asgad, Johanan, the son of Hakatan, and with him 110 males. Of the last sons of Adonikam, whose names are these, Eliphet, Jael and Shemaiah, and with them 60 males. Also the sons of Bigvi, Uthai, and Zebub, and with them 70 males. So here are the number of the men that responded to Ezra's invitation to go back to Jerusalem and to serve there. And in verses 2 through 14 that we just read, we've seen all these families that were ready to go. And it sounds like a lot, and you start doing the math on it, and it was about 1,500 people that went out of a couple million Jews that were probably living in Babylon at the time. That seems to be a little discouraging that only 1,500 people wanted to move back to Jerusalem to do the work of the Lord. And they were not forced to go back. These were volunteers that wanted to go back and do this work. And the problem is, when they were in Babylon, they became too comfortable in where they were living. They would become comfort to the luxuries of what Babylon had to offer. And if we think to ourselves nowadays, many have become real comfortable in the world that we're living in. That they're not wanting to go the extra mile to do the things of the Lord because they're comfortable where they're at. And Christians have become comfortable where they're at in their own walk that they don't go the extra mile sometimes to do exactly what the Lord is asking them to do, especially here in America. I don't think we know what it is to be persecuted or to suffer for Christ, not like our brothers and sisters have, have been suffering and doing the things for Christ overseas in China or the Middle East and so forth. Now, the first group, if we remember, with Zerubbabel was about 50,000 people went. 
So there seemed to be more of a zeal and more of a want to do those things. But as the years had gone by, remember, this is about a 60-year difference in the groups that are going. So as the years have gone by, they seem to not quite have the zeal to go back to Jerusalem and do the work that was needed to, uh, to get the ministry going over there. So we've got to remember that they were not forced to go to Jerusalem. And we look at the Holy Spirit, who is a perfect gentleman. He invites people to come to Christ. He encourages, he inspires people to come to Christ. He enlightens, but he doesn't force people to accept Christ. Just like these people here to go at Ezra were not forced to go at all. Matter of fact, in Matthew 3.16, they call the Holy Spirit like a dove. They don't call it a vulture or an eagle, but like a dove, a peaceful animal that was not going to force their will. In Ezekiel 47, we see Ezekiel going down to the river. And usually when they talk about the river, they're talking about the Spirit of God. And we see Ezekiel going into this river about ankle deep. Then later on in the passage, we see him going down to where he's knee deep. Then he goes waist deep. And then finally, the water in that river is over his head. By the leading of the Spirit, he does this. And I think the Spirit will lead us to different levels as such. To where the, the, the Spirit of, of the, the Holy Spirit will lead us to the river to put our ankles in to where we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. And as we get a little deeper and it gets to our knees, we're now praying for others and growing in our faith. And then it may take us to our waist and finally it may go over our heads to where we're totally lost in the Holy Spirit. To where we've totally surrendered over to the works that the Holy Spirit wants us to do. And, and each step of the way, we have that choice to, to just stop where we're at and get comfortable. And, and to not to move on in our walk with Christ. And we see here that the people uh, of this time that were in Babylon, many of them didn't want to go further and serve the Lord. But Ezra was picking up those people who wanted to go and decided to go and walk, walk for the Lord. And we see that happening here. So the question in this is, will you be able to lean yourself over to what the Holy Spirit wants of you? Will you be able to answer that call if he's calling you maybe to go to another state, going to call you to go to another country to teach his word, and, and, and he's going to want you to do that? Will you heed that call? Or just locally to minister here, will you heed that call of the Spirit to minister to people in your circle? The choice will be yours to do that. So moving on to verse 15. We just talked about a, out of those 1,500 people, there was a group I was missing. That was the Levites. In uh, verse 15, it says, Now I gathered them by the river that flows to Ahava, and we camped there three days. And I looked among the people and the priests and found none of the sons of Levi. Now this area of Ahava, what they're talking about, is where the actual region of Babylon is at is just north of where I guess you can say the city of Babylon would have been located. Uh, during the Iraq War, one of the cities that would come on the news at times, and we, I printed a lot of maps for, was Ramadi, which was just north of that region. There was a lot of uh, fights in that area. So they stop here for three days by this river, which the Ahiva is actually a little canal next to the Euphrates River. Um, before they went on this journey, this journey was going to probably be 900 plus miles to Jerusalem. And having been in that region before, it is nothing but desert. 
between the area where they're at now and Jerusalem. It's not, it's not going to be a fun journey. It's not going to be a scenic journey. It's going to be a hard journey on them. So we see Ezra standing here by this river for three days, assessing what, what needs to be done before they take off on the trip. And I think that's good leadership that he took that time to kind of realize what he had, what am I missing before we go, let's, let's take a look at this. And it kind of reminds me of when Joshua and the nation of Israel was right there at the Jordan before they crossed over. As they were waiting for the guidance from God to, to what to do next. They had just come out of Egypt, out of the wilderness. They were led by, by, the, uh, by the Lord, but not had yet crossed over to the promised land. They hadn't gone to what God had promised them yet. And after three days, the officers commanded the people to follow the ark. So they were following through to get to the promised land. In Joshua 3, 4, it says it like this. It says, yet there shall be a space between you and it. And 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it that you may know that way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. And these people have not passed this way before as they're on their way to Jerusalem. So Ezra was there waiting on the Spirit of God to tell him which way to go. And as he's waiting, the Spirit of God reveals to him that, guess what? You don't have any Levites with you. You don't have my ministers to go do the work inside of the temple. So as he's surveying this, the Lord is speaking to him. And in verse 16, it says, Then I sent for Eliezer, Ariel, Shemaiah, El-Nathan, Jerob, El-Nathan, Nathan, Zechariah and Meshalom, leaders also for Jerob and El Nathan, men of uh, understanding, and I gave them a command for Ido, the chief man, to at the place of Casipha, and I told them what they should say to Ido and his brethren, the Nethanim, at the place of Casipha, that they should bring us servants for the house of God. Verse 18, it says, Then by the good hand of our God upon us, they brought us a man of understanding of the sons of Malai, the son of Levi, the son of Israel, namely Sherebiah, with his sons and brothers, 18 men, and Heshabiah, and with him Jeshiah, and the sons of Morai, his brother, and their sons, 20 men, also of the Nethanim, whom David and the leaders had appointed for the service of the Levites, 220 Nethanim. All of them were designated by name. So he's now drafting people to come into the service of the Lord, drafting the Levites that were wanting to stay. So he knew they could not move forward to go on to do the service of the Lord without these Levites coming with them. That was their job to do that. And it says in verse 18, it says, The good hand of God was upon them. Just like God is orchestrating our country, just like God is orchestrating our leadership in our country, whether we like it or not, he has a plan and a purpose for that. He was orchestrating these Levites to come together, to go with the people back to Jerusalem. God orchestrates everything that is going on. He is in control of what is happening. And we see God here orchestrating these Levites to come and to gather up and to go back to Jerusalem. So these Levites were the ones that were to conduct the service of the Lord, not only in the temple, but also they would go out once their service for the uh, Lord at the temple was done, they would go back into these outlying cities and towns 
to be able to be ministers and to minister to the, to the communities there as well. And Romans 10.14 says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And these are going to be your preachers that were going back to spread the law to the people who were living in those communities. So the church is very essential. Contrary to a lot of what our government wants to say, our church, the church is very essential to be able to spread the word of God out to the to society and the communities we live in. And I know a lot of states are trying to block that. And we know that there's a, there's a motive behind that, which is the enemy wanting to stop the word of God getting out. But God will not be denied. God's word will get pushed out. And those who are going to be saved will be saved. Amen. So in verse 21, as we continue on, it says, Then I proclaim the fast there at the river of Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek him, uh, seek from him the right way for us and our little ones and all our possessions. For I was ashamed to request of the king an escort of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy on the road because we had spoken to the king saying, the hand of our, hand of our God is upon all those for good who seek him. But his power and his wrath are against all those who forsake him. So we fasted and entreated our God for this, and he answered our prayer. Ezra, once again, made a great leadership decision. In telling the people that were going to go with them, they're still down by the river, telling the people that were going to go with them to fast and to pray to the Lord. To fast and pray to, to understand where they would go, and he included almost everyone. He says to seek from him the right way for us and our little ones. He included the children in that. That us as a community and as a group of people, which way we should go. How we should attack this route that we're going to go on to get to Jerusalem. So now he has his Levites. Ezra is asking his people to pray and to fast. And to fast is, is, is a good thing to do because they were carrying a lot of gold and silver with them too. I uh, read in a commentary that this could have been up to about $5 million worth of gold and silver that they were bringing back with them to Jerusalem as an offering for the temple. So you can only imagine what was going to be awaiting out them, the bandits and the robbers that were going to be there that probably would want to come in and take this wealth. I'm pretty sure people have already heard that you have 1,500 Jews that are about to go back to Jerusalem. They're not empty-handed. So when Ezra telling them to fast and to pray, it wasn't just to know which way to go, but was also asking for protection. He said that he was ashamed to request of the king an escort of soldiers and horsemen to help him with that because he had told that king that God's hand was upon them. And he wanted to show that king that God's mighty hand was going to work and that God's mighty hand was going to protect and God's mighty hand was going to lead them to Jerusalem back to the promised land so he didn't even ask the king to get a, a armed escort back into Jerusalem because God was going to be that armed escort for them I know sometimes we can get backed into a corner sometimes in our lives whether it's bad decisions we make or just circumstances in life and sometimes we only think hey we either got to go the world's way on this or just give up in defeat 
But that third option is to continue to trust in God. And that's the best option that you can have. And Ezra knew that there was going to be a hard push going back towards Jerusalem. He knew that there was going to be opposition against him. He knew that there was going to be people out there coming to steal and to kill and destroy, just like we know in John 10.10. He knew that was going to happen. But he put his trust not in the world, not in the government, but he put his trust in God to deliver the people into Jerusalem. He He didn't waver one way or another. And then he had them fasting. And I think fasting is a wonderful, wonderful thing to do as believers. It's something we have in our arsenal to be able to commune with God. And fasting isn't necessarily for God, but it's for our benefit. We don't get brownie points just because we fast and all of a sudden God likes me better than Ron. That's not, that's not the way it works. When we fast, we simply, we simply take what we may be doing physically in this time. We may go to eat to feed our flesh, or we may go watch a movie, or we may be on our phones to feed our flesh, and we get rid of that, and we feed our spirit. We commune with God. We pray. We search his, you know, we search his word to know what he has for us to do. Search his word just to remember what promises he's given to us. That's what we do during fasting, and that benefits us, and it builds our spirit man up when we, whenever we starve the flesh. So when you feel afraid or confused, fast. Deny your flesh. Seek God in everything that we do. In verse 24, as we continue on, it says, And I separated twelve of the leaders of the priests, Sherebiah, Hashabiah, and ten of uh, their brethren with them, and weighed out to them the silver and the gold and the articles, the offering for the house of God, which the king and his counselors and his princes and all Israel who were present had offered, weighted into their hands 650 talents of silver, silver articles weighing 100 talents, 100 talents of gold, 20 gold basins worth a thousand drachmas, and two vessels of fine polished bronze, bronze, precious as gold. And I said to them, You are holy to the Lord. The articles are holy also. And the silver and the gold are free will offerings to the Lord God of our fathers. Watch and keep them until until you weigh them before the leaders of the priests and the Levites, heads of the fathers' houses of Israel in Jerusalem, in the chambers of the house of the Lord. So the priests and the Levites received the silver and gold and the articles by weight, by weight to bring them to Jerusalem to the house of our God. So the offerings that were weighed, were weighed, they were weighed before the journey. And they were going to get accountability of them when they came into Jerusalem, into the temple, to ensure no pieces were missing, nothing was stolen, nothing was, was lost. And Jesus tells us in Luke 16, 11, it says, Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you trust, uh, to your trust the true riches? Basically, if you can't even take care of your finances here, how is he going to trust you with more in the spirit realm? If you can't take, of, take care of the things we have to do in this world, how is he going to trust you with more in the spirit you know, we need to be good stewards of our, our gifts that God has given us. 
we need to be able to, to steward them well, not only our spiritual gifts, but our, our physical gifts and our financial gifts that he's given us. We need to be good stewards of that. And he was doing that here. Ezra was being a good steward of what God had given the nation of Israel by measuring these things out. You know, money is one indicator of how God uses us, uh, uses to help us see where our hearts are at. Because there's many people, whether Christian or unbelievers, that are money hungry. And that's all they seem to be after is that, that almighty dollar. And Luke said in 12, uh, Luke 12, 34, it says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And with him measuring these, these items, he, he was trying to ensure that, hey, make sure the hearts of the people are honest as we go on this trip. As we go over to Jerusalem, let's make sure we know what we have. And I'm pretty sure during this fasting and praying, they were praying for honest hearts as they moved on to Jerusalem. And if your treasures lie in money, fame, sports, entertainment, whatever it is, you need to redirect that to where your treasure relies, lies in Jesus. That your heart is led by him and not the pleasures of this world. Too many people, both in the church and out of church, are led by things that make their, their flesh feel good. And that's why I think it's good to fast sometimes, to, to put your flesh in check and to ensure we are going on that straight and narrow path that God has called us to go. So here we see they counted up the, the treasure to ensure that they had the same amount on the other end. And in verse 31, as we continue, they're going to be returning to Jerusalem. It says, Then we departed from the river of Ahiva on the twelfth day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. And the hand of our God was upon us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from the ambush along the road. So we came to Jerusalem and stayed there three days. So we see here, once again, they left for their journey. And I, and I love it every time this, this, this phrase comes up. The hand of our God was upon us. I love it because that's exactly what I want in my life. I hope that you want that in your life, too, that the hand of God would be upon you in all that you do. And what does that take? Seeking after God, fellowshipping with him, knowing what his word and his promises are. And his hand is going to be upon us as we go through our own life's travels and journeys. They knew that the enemy was out there ready to take that $5 million in treasure away from them, to take the gold, to take the silver. They didn't ask, like we read earlier, they didn't ask for armed guards. They didn't ask for horsemen to come with them. They solely put their trust in God. And we see here, so we came to Jerusalem and stayed there for three days. They made their 900-plus mile journey to Jerusalem. And we're going to see in a minute they didn't lose any treasure. I don't think they lost any personnel. It doesn't say anything about that. And you know why? Because God's hand was upon them because they were walking in the will of God. And I think that's what it takes. We go back to the fasting and praying is... Constant prayer, constant communion with God brings that protection for us as believers. Because there's often we can kind of walk out, walk off out of the canopy of God's cover sometimes. We do that to ourselves because he's not moving. But when you're in constant communion with him, constant prayer with him, constantly in your word, like Pastor George talked about that on Sunday, about, about the manna, about being in his word, having his provision, 
That's how we get it. Constant communion with him, constant prayer, constant reading of his word, knowing what God has in store for us. That's how we stay underneath that canopy of God. And then we see here that they made it to their destination. In verse 33 it says, Now on the fourth day, the silver and the gold and the articles were weighed in the house of our God by the hand of Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the priest. And with him was Eliezer, son of Phinehas. With them were the Levites, Josabad, and the son of Jeshua, and Nodiah, the son of Benunai. Ben, ben I got that one. All right. Verse 34, it says, With the number of weight, with the number and weight of everything, all the weight was written down at that time. So just as the priests and the Levites gave account for their gifts, as they brought it into Jerusalem, as they brought it to the temple, they, they took account of the gifts that were being brought in to ensure that they had the right amount in here. And they were being good stewards of those gifts. We also need to be good stewards of the gifts that God has given us, not to let them just sit and be stagnant. God has given each one of us a gift and a mission in our life as believers, and we just can't sit on it. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7, he told him to stir up the gifts that were within him. Be accountable for those gifts that are with you. Do not let them be stagnant. Because one day we're going to answer for what God has given us to do. Whether we've done it or not, he's going to ask us, what did you do with my son? Were you a good witness? And that's when we're going to receive our gifts, whether it's hay, stubble, gold, silver, what have you. That's when we're going to receive that. And we're going to see if we have been good stewards of the gifts that God has given us. And as we finish in verse 35, it says, The children of those who had been carried away captive, who had come from the captivity, offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel, 12 bulls for all Israel, 96 rams, 77 lambs, and 12 male goats as a sin offering. All this was a burnt offering to the Lord. And they delivered the king's orders to the king's satraps and the governors in the region and beyond the river. So they gave support to the people and the house of God. So here we see Ezra now giving the report back to the leaders, to the governors, to those who were going to get this report back to the king ultimately to tell them exactly what God has done. That God has protected us on our journey. God has ensured that our gifts were kept and that they were accounted for. And now we're going to go forth and we're going to complete the mission by getting the law of, the, of God out to the people. Amen. Father, we thank you for this word tonight. We ask, Lord, that you would just let it sit in our hearts, Lord, that we would be good stewards, Lord, of the gifts that you have given us, Lord, and that we would seek your face even more, Lord, that we would, we would eat from your manna, your word, Father God, to, to be able to be underneath your protection, Father God. And that when hard times do come, Lord, that we don't run, Lord, and that we pray that your hands would be upon us so that we can not only be protected by you, but we can be a witness to others of your power and your mercy and your grace, Father. We thank you for this message tonight. We want to give you praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.